Good morning, Gateway family. So good to be with you this morning, and it's hard to believe that it's already been six weeks since we've been able to fellowship together and be here in the sanctuary together, but just know your pastors, your elders, your deacons are praying for you all uh, constantly and always in our thoughts, and uh, we just long for the day that we can get back together here again and worship the Lord, and we know that time is coming. We trust God's providence and his timing in all things, and I just want to remind all of you again, even though you've heard from many of our elders and deacons over the past few weeks, if anything comes up suddenly that you need some more prayer about or want to pray with one of us, Grady and my cell phones are available. They're on the directory. Uh, we have an intercessory prayer team that we have that we would love with your permission to be able to get some of these prayer requests to them as well, to intercede for you and stand in the gap in some of the situations we're all going through during this time. So we just want to remind you of that and how much we love and miss you all. We're going to begin this morning, if we do, just declaring the word of the Lord and allowing the scriptures to soak over us this morning and to prepare our hearts as we begin to worship this morning. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with you as according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let's worship the Lord together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we are able to come and worship you through song and praise. Lord, you are so worthy of everything. God, our lives, our voices, our hands, our feet. God, we just want to worship you and bring you honor and glory in so many ways this morning. And now, God, we come as we do each week, this special time to worship you in a time of prayer, of petitioning, of intercession. And Lord, again, as we do each week, we just start off crying out for your mercy, for your protection, for your healing of our Gateway family during this pandemic. God, you continue. We're going to keep asking, Lord, each week as we continue to have to come to you during this time and trusting you, Lord. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. We look to you, God, for healing during this time and protection for our faith family. And, Lord, as we started last week in praying and lifting up some of our first responders, God, we also this morning want to lift up two nurses, a part of our congregation, Rachel Stewart and Laura Summerford. Lord, we thank you for these two ladies and pray your protection over them as they're on the front lines in the hospital, wherever you have them individually. God, that you would protect them, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them strength and energy to be able to go each day and do what you've called them to do and bring you medical care in this community. Lord, we also pray for them that you would give them opportunities to be salt and light, not just to provide physical care, Lord, but spiritual and emotional care as well. So we thank you for them as we did for them last week, and we'll continue to pray for others as the weeks proceed. And Lord, just this morning, we want to also specifically pray for our Gateway family, for those within our body who have unsaved loved ones. God, during this time, we know of talking about life and death and mortality, Lord, there's opportunity for us to be a little more bold in our faith, to ask questions and have those conversations that at times may be difficult. But God, I pray for each one of us in our Gateway family that we would be proactive and seek you, Lord, on the timing and the ways to have these conversations with many of our loved ones who don't know you, who have not come to saving faith. God, give us wisdom and timing and just entrusting you through humility to be able to talk to our loved ones and bring the gospel before them and have those conversations during this missional time. Lord, we thank you for the Montgomery Baptist Association and many of their volunteers who each week are going around the community in the, the, the food bus and providing food and the gospel to many all over our city. We pray for protection for all those volunteers as they're wearing masks and gloves and trying to communicate and hand out these food boxes. But God, we just pray that your love and grace and mercy would be so evident throughout this city and that people would come to saving faith through these wonderful volunteers sacrificing their time. And Lord, we thank you so much each week lifting up a church and we want to continue to lift up our, our friends, our Hispanic congregation that meets here, New Life in Christ. I know their leadership is doing everything they can like us to communicate, to disciple, to reach their community. We continue to pray for health and protection for all their families and for the, whatever communities they're in around the city and the spheres of influence they have at their jobs. God, we pray that the gospel would go forth and during this season, the Hispanic community would see a revival take place and people come to saving faith and that new life in Christ can be a strategic part of that. And, Lord, we thank you again each week that we can look beyond our borders, look beyond our state and our country to the nations of the world. And this morning, God, we look to the unreached people and pray for the Shibushi of Moyet, the Moyet Islands off the southeast coast of Africa. Lord, they're primarily a Muslim people group, but many of these look to the spirits called the jinn, these angelic and demon-like creatures that they look to them every day for everyday needs, for everyday crises. And they live in constant fear of these demonic spirits. And Lord, again, as we do each week, we just pray, God, that your mercy and grace and your power would flow down upon that island. That Christians in the neighboring Madagascar and Mozambique 
would strategically reach this island with the gospel to reach this people group for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you for the reminder as I was researching them, going to Romans chapter one, you reminded me of this wonderful passage that sometimes we get so concerned about praying for some of these people groups and in the island nations or tribal jungles or wherever they are, God, that we have these scriptures here to trust you with, knowing that you're in full providential control. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Lord, thank you for these words. We can pray and we're supposed to to stand in the gap between life and death and darkness and light for these tribal people, for these unreached groups. But God, they're in your hands. As we just read, you made so clear, Lord, you have revealed yourself through creation, through nature. You can show up and make yourself known in a supernatural way. And we thank you that we can trust the Shabushi people to you. Lord, again, we thank you for our Pastor Grady. Thank you for his heart, for your word, to shepherd us, to love us, to care for us. We pray this morning, God, you give him energy and strength as he comes, that he is in tune with you, Lord, and your Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that's said this morning. We just thank you so much for his heart to lead us and to shepherd us well. And God, thank you for your provision these past few weeks. We thank you for everyone who has given faithfully through tithes and offerings online and in different ways. God, you are so good. We thank you for your provision, and we thank you for your provision for our Gateway family. You are so faithful, so holy, so righteous. And we just lift up this time to you and say, continue to have your way for the rest of our service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. I am grateful we get to gather again together this morning and study God's word together. I want you to find James chapter 2. James chapter 2 this morning in your copy of God's word. As we study through James chapter 1 over the previous 11 weeks, we've seen a lot of themes that James has introduced for us. Now, in the chapters that follow, James is going to go a lot deeper on these ideas that he has introduced to us that we've seen over the previous 11 weeks. But even with that, we don't want to miss what we've already seen. That we start a new chapter today in chapter 2. There were no chapter breaks when James wrote this letter. So what we're seeing this morning follows with what he's previously been saying. I want to remind us of two important truths that we've seen in the previous weeks. In particular, in James chapter 1, verse number 22, James told us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you remember back to that text some weeks ago, friends, we saw there was a very real danger in us being deceived and thinking we are okay with God, but we're not if we do not have any desire in our hearts to do what God's word says, to obey what we hear, what we read from God's word. Very similarly, in James chapter 1, verse number 26, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And there again, James shows us there is a danger for us in being deceived and thinking we are okay with God when we are not, if our faith is not transforming our lives. If there is no sanctification, no growth in godliness as we walk with God year after year. And so what James is laying out for us is that real faith is going to change us. Real faith is going to transform us. It's going to give us a desire to want to follow God and obey him. It's going to let us see progress in our lives as we more and more become like God who wants us to be. 
Now, the theme James picks up again is another area, but it's really the same idea here about how real faith in God changes us. And in particular, what James is going to address now is how real faith in God is going to overcome favoritism in our lives. Now, what do I mean by favoritism? Favoritism is the preference we have for some people over others. It's having favorites in the church. Perhaps you might call it having cliques in the church. Friends, that was an issue for believers when James wrote this. It's an issue for believers still today. So as you read our text, I want you to be looking for what James has to say about favoritism in the life of the church. Now, before I read, I want to mention one thing about this text. James is going to make his point by giving an example of favoritism in the life of the church. He's going to use the term partiality, but it's the same idea as favoritism, same word, same meaning here. But when you read the example, don't go, well, I've never done that. I'm okay. I can check out here. Because the example James gives is designed to just be that, an example for us. And it's very easy for us to do what is mentioned here, though in perhaps many different ways. So as we read our text, be looking for two things. First, why is favoritism wrong in the church? And then also be looking for, are there ways that we're doing what he's warning us about here? Why is favoritism wrong? And are there ways that we're doing what he warns us about? So we come to James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. If you're able, where you are, I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God. Friends, we have such a treasure in God giving us his revelation of himself. Let's look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the way that your word shows us who you are, the way your word instructs us and convicts us and guides us. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the truth of your word. Your Holy Spirit within us will show us if there are areas in our lives where we're doing what James has warned about. And through your word this morning, God, I pray that you might grow us and guide us, that you might mature us and make us more into who you desire for us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. What I want you to see this morning in James chapter 2 is quite simply this. Showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. That showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. That as we relate to other believers, other followers of Christ, if we're partial to some over others, if we love some but not others, if we include some in our lives but not others, that is the opposite of God's will for us. That that type of partiality, that type of favoritism is incompatible with true faith, with the faith that God and his grace gives to us. Showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. Now I want you to see that in these four verses here this morning. So let's start at the very beginning with the command that James gives to us. It's a very clear, very straightforward imperative, a very clear command here. Look at the beginning of verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality. Now, let's just stop there and unpack that. That word partiality is a fascinating word in Greek. It appears to have been invented by the early church. Nowhere in Greek literature do you ever find this word before now. This appears to be the first place this word was ever used in any writing anywhere in world history. It was a unique term invented by the church. Now, this word, to show no partiality, literally means to receive someone according to their face. 
to receive someone according to their face. Now, that sounds strange, doesn't it? James says, do not receive people according to their face. But what he's saying here, he's actually taken an Old Testament word. That's the Old Testament word for favoritism, and he's combined it to make a new word here to mean judging people based on external things. It's liking some people and not liking others because of some external criteria that you use. Now, this word partiality is plural in the Greek. That means there's lots of ways we can be partial. There's lots of ways that we can judge people. There's lots of ways that we can prefer some people over others. It can be over the way people dress. It can be over people's physical appearance. It can be over race or ethnicity or age or generation, over personality type or over money or financial status or position or influence or education or where they live and even over theological doctrines. Believers can divide and show preference for one over another over any of those categories. Friends, that means having favorites in the church because of age or generation is the opposite of God's will for us. That means loving some people but not loving others because of the type job they have is the opposite of God's will for us. Including some people in our friend circles while excluding others because of where they live is the opposite of God's will for us. Pursuing friendship with some in the church but not others because of their financial status is the opposite of God's will for us. Now, friends, remember, this was a command written to Christians, to those who have faith in God. It is a real danger for believers then and now. Look back at verse 1. Notice the first phrase, my brothers. As we've seen throughout James, he will use this term to affectionately address followers of Christ. This includes men and women. It's a general term for both. He's writing to all who are in Christ. That means followers of Christ should not prefer one group of believers over another because of these external things. Now, friends, while this applies in any situation, James has a particular setting in mind here. He particularly has in mind the life of the church, the church gathered together. Look at the setting he mentions in the example of verse 2. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. He speaks of the assembly, the gathering of believers together. Now, some people think it could be the weekly worship service. Some people think it might be a church discipline setting. And friends, honestly, it doesn't matter. He's speaking of when believers are gathered together in the life of the church. He's showing us that the church should be the last place we ever see favoritism displayed because it's incompatible with our faith in Christ. Now, he's going to give an example here in verses 2 and 3 of what favoritism can look like in the church. Now, what he writes here is like a parable. It's a story. He's not saying, I heard this situation actually happen. He's saying, let me give you an example of what I mean. Let me illustrate this to teach a point. And what he writes is designed to be a bit extreme. Again, don't write this off going, oh, I've never done anything like that. I've never seen that done before. He's trying to make a point to us so we can examine our own hearts. And look at the example he gives us of how the church, how believers can slide into sinful partiality. Look at verses 2 and 3 here with me. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, or you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So again, get the setting here of what he sees. God's people are gathered in a church setting. Two different guests arrive. One of the guests who comes into the assembly to the gathering of God's people is obviously wealthy. It says he's wearing gold rings. Well, gold rings at the time was a sign of wealth, of great wealth. It was also a sign of influence and position and status in society. 
In fact, I found it really funny this week as I was studying one scholar said they've discovered that in ancient Rome, by the time this was written, there were actually places you could go rent gold rings when you went to special occasions to try to impress people. Well, this guy's not renting gold rings to impress his friends. He actually has multitude of gold rings. He's literally gold-fingered here. And he's covered in fine clothing. It literally means shining clothing. He's luxurious in his appearance. So that's the one man who walks in. At the same time, another person walks into this gathering of followers of Christ. And this person is shabby. Literally, it says their clothes are filthy. They're dirty. This person is so poor, they only have one set of clothes. And that's all that they own. And it's covered in filth. And people barely notice the second guest because they're so enamored with the first guy who's walked in. And we don't know who, but someone in the congregation here makes a decision to go to that rich person, that person of influence in society, to escort them to the front seat, to a place of honor, to a place to where they will be noticed. And that same person then looks at the poor man and relegates him to either sit on the floor in the back or to stand in a corner. Remember, this is example. It's illustrative. It's easy easy to think, I would never do that. But friends, the reality is our hearts are very deceitful. Our hearts are very sinful. And it's easy for us to do things like this and not even realize it. It's easy for us to prefer people to pursue relationships with certain believers and not others because they live near us, because they educate their kids the same way we do, because they like the same sports team or the same music or the same entertainment, because they're in the same generation, because they have the same political views, or perhaps even now because they have the same view of whether or not the society should be reopened or what people should continue to shelter in place. There's lots of things that we can quickly run to to create division and to show partiality. And though we may not be as bold to say it outwardly as the person in the example of verses 2 and 3 here, it's very easy for us to invite only certain types of people into our lives. And though we may not be intentionally doing it, it's easy for us to exclude other people who are different from us in any of those external categories we just mentioned. And James is saying that mindset, that way of acting is sinful. It is incompatible with our faith in Christ. Go back to verse 1 and notice how he phrases it for us. He says, my brothers show no partiality as, and notice the word as, it's important, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, friends, this whole book of James is about how we walk in faith. And the terminology here is how you hold the faith. It means the same thing. It means how we live out what we claim to believe. And part of us holding the faith, part of us living out what we claim to believe is seeking God's grace to rid our lives of partiality. Friends, not to get to God, not to gain his favor, but because we already belong to him, because we already have received his favor, because we are his children, because we already have faith in him. And that type of true faith realigns us and changes our desires. Now, friends, this raises a big question for us on this text. Why is faith in Christ incompatible with partiality? The type of partiality we've mentioned is so common in society. We see it in so many different places. Why is it incompatible in the lives of Christians? Well, he's going to give us three reasons in verse number four. And as we get to verse four, I want you to realize what's happening here. Verses two, three, and four, one long sentence in the Greek. James in verses two and three has these words, if and if. He's making a statement for us of what things are like. He says, if that happens, then verse four is the result of it. So look at verse four. He's saying, if you've done these type things of verses two and three, here is the conclusion. Verse four, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. He asked the question, have you not? 
And though in the Greek, the way it looks to us as a question, he's actually saying this requires a yes answer. If you've done what I've said in verses 2 and 3, then verse 4 is true for you. You have to answer yes to this question. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So there in verse 4, there's three reasons why our faith in Christ is incompatible with partiality. Number one, it's incompatible because it's making distinctions where God does not. It is making distinctions where God does not. Friends, God only differentiates his people from the lost. He does not differentiate among his people. That's why Galatians 3.28 can speak of salvation for us and say there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What that verse is about is God's not wiping out gender roles in the society. What he's saying is that we all have access to God. That God is not showing preference to the Jews or the Greeks or to males or females. That doesn't matter that we all have faith in Christ. And faith in Christ levels the playing field, so to speak. That's why when we studied the book of Ephesians last year, if you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 14 to 16 there, he describes Christ and says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, the hostility between different groups that normally would not get along. He goes on in verse 19 to say, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One of the authors I was reading this week described it in a great way. He said, this is the leveling effect of the Christian gospel. The leveling effect of the Christian gospel. That if we are in Christ, we are united. We are one before the Lord. And if God wiped out those distinctions to welcome rich and poor and Jew and Gentile and people of all different backgrounds, why then would we cling to those distinctions that do not matter to the Lord? It's wrong for us to cling to those things and only welcome certain people and exclude others for those things that do not matter in access to salvation in Christ. So the first reason why James tells us that partiality is wrong in the life of the church and the life of our lives as believers is it makes distinctions where God does not. But it gives us a second reason. When we show partiality, we're ultimately looking down upon people who are loved by God. We look down upon people who are loved by God. Look at verse 4 again. In verse 4, he tells us here, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, he's using the word becoming judges in a negative sense here, of looking down upon people, of judging them, of feeling ill will towards them, of assessing someone as inferior to us, of not worthy of our pursuit, not worthy of our time, not worthy of our attention and care and inclusion in our lives. He's saying, realize what you're doing when you show that type of partiality. You're determining, you're making a judgment in your mind that this person who's made in the image of God, this person who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ like you, you're deciding that they are not worth me inviting them into my life. They are not worth me pursuing them to love them. So why is it wrong to show partiality in the church? One, it makes distinctions where God does not. And two, it looks down upon people loved by God. But number three, and quite simply, God calls it evil. God calls it a sin. The creator, the sovereign one who sets the standard, labels partiality and favoritism among believers as sinful. Look at verse 4 again. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? With evil thoughts, with evil intentions, with evil motivation. 
showing preference for some believers over another based on any of those external things that I've mentioned throughout this message is evil in God's eyes. It is sinful in God's eyes. And friends, if we're honest, showing preference, showing favoritism is a tool that the enemy loves. Satan works hard to get us to divide over all those external things. Satan works hard to divide the church because he wants to make it powerless. He wants to make it where God is not worshipped as he deserved, where the church is powerless to take the gospel to people who have never heard. And friends, when we fall to the schemes of the enemy and allow favoritism and preferential treatment to some over others to come into our life, we're hurting one another, we're hurting ourselves, we're hindering the mission of the church, and friends, we're grieving the heart of our God. And so when God in his grace begins to reveal to us that we are showing preferential treatment, we are showing favoritism to some believers over others, he's doing that to us, he's showing us that because he loves us, he's bringing conviction because he desires for us to repent. He wants us to have a wake-up call so the church can be a place to where we long for unity with all the brothers and sisters. I came across an author this week talking about this, and this quote just really arrested my attention. He said, favoritism is an indication of a heart that at best is in need of spiritual help, and at worst is a heart without grace. Think of that. He says, favoritism is an indication of a heart that at best is in need of spiritual help, and at worst is a heart without grace. Friends, this raises an important question for us. As believers, and if we struggle with favoritism or partiality, and God begins to convict us and show us that, how do we change? How do we overcome? He doesn't tell us this just to make us feel guilty. He tells us this so we can change and be different, so we can be conformed more to the image of Christ. How do we overcome? Well, there's a big way he shows us in here, and that is we focus on Jesus as our glorious Lord. We focus on Jesus as our glorious Lord. If we want to overcome, we have to turn our focus off ourselves and off of these circumstances onto Christ himself and how glorious he is. Look at verse 1 again, friends. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, we talk a lot about the word Lord here because the Lord means boss, master, the one we submit to. And yes, we seek to overcome partiality because our boss, our master, the sovereign one who's redeemed us has said, don't do it. So he's our Lord, so we should overcome it. But notice it gives us a glimpse of how we overcome it here. As we hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You could literally translate, translate this, our glorious Lord. Now, what do we mean by glory, friends? Glory is the sum of all that God is. In one sense, it's the brightness around his presence. But it's also a summary of his fame, his honor, his worthiness, the, the totality of his character and his nature. And so we focus on Jesus as the Lord of glory, the Lord of all brightness, the Lord of all power, the Lord who is worthy of all fame and honor. It changes us. Now, how does focusing on the glory of God change us and overcome our partiality? Well, friends, do you realize that when we're dealing with favoritism, when we're showing partiality, it's really because we're seeking our own glory? I mean, think about that for just a minute. When we're showing favoritism to some believers over others, we're showing partiality saying, you come into my life, but I don't really want you in my life. It's because we're seeking our own glory. We're choosing to associate with only certain people because they make us feel good because they make us feel secure, because they look a certain way, which helps our reputation or whatever it is. But when we're including some people but excluding others who are also blood-bought children of God, we're doing so for our own glory. Favoritism really is self-idolatry. And so the solution for that is to take our eyes off ourselves and to focus on the only one who is worthy of all glory and honor, and that is God 
himself. When we focus on the glory of God, friends, it kills the heart attitude in which preferential treatment for people grows. We can't gaze on the glory of God and act like we deserve glory. We can't gaze on the glory of God and act like our lives are about us and our preferences and our reputation, people thinking a certain way about us. We can't gaze on the glory of God and act like we are better than others and these people deserve my time, but those people aren't worthy. We can't gaze on the glory of God and still be that way. So we find ourselves showing partiality or favoritism. What we need to do is run and gaze on the glory of God to think about his character, his attributes, to think about his, how worthy he is and the grace he's poured on our lives and the lives of other believers. And we do that by running back to his word, by reading it, by meditating on it, by talking to other brothers and sisters about it. So, friends, when we find favoritism in our life, we need to think about the glory of God and let that undo our pursuit of our own glory and the selfishness in our heart that wants relationships because of how they help us. But can I give you a practical step also in addition to that? Something we can do when we gather together on this campus again, which I pray will be soon. The second thing we can do, friends, is to realize that when someone is alone at church, that should be an emergency to us. When we see someone alone at a church gathering, that should be an emergency to us, friends. We are made to be a body. We are made to be a community of believers together. And it's easy when 300 of us are gathered on campus for us to be having so much fun fellowshipping with one another and catching up with one another and talking about what God's been doing, God's been teaching us, for someone to be sitting in the back of the room and us not even notice, not because we're trying to them, because just we're busy and distracted with our friends. So if you want a practical step you can take, if you're thinking, Grady, what do I do to be more intentional in including more people in my life and to not show partiality, not show favoritism, when you're here on this campus and we can regather, start looking for someone who's alone and go to them. If you're with your group of friends and having a great time fellowshipping and talking about the word of God and the Lord and you see someone sitting alone, tell your friends, hey, there's someone who's by themselves. Let's go meet them. Let's go include them. Let's go bring them into our fellowship and our conversation and to pursue them. Friends, that's going to be really important whenever we are able to gather here again. There's a longing in my heart to see all of you, and I've missed seeing you. I know you've missed being with one another. It's going to be so easy when we get back together, however long it is, on this campus. to be. So, there's so much for us to catch up on that it'd be easy for us to overlook the family that's sitting by themselves that's new here or the person sitting by themselves. So let me just encourage you, whenever that day comes, that we can get back together on this campus on a Sunday morning. Keep your eyes open to look around and to look for people who are not connected and bring them in. Even if they're people of different backgrounds than you, and even if they're people who might not be people you would normally think would be a close friend, to pursue them because they're a brother and sister in Christ. Friends, James gives us a very straightforward command here. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He shows us the serious consequences of this and what's in our heart if this happens. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Friends, he's showing us that showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. So I'll ask you one question before we close this morning. It's simply this, friends. Who is God calling you to pursue? Who is God calling you to pursue? If you are in Christ, he's made for you to be in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that so many of you already have deep relationships with other followers of Christ, but are there people that God has put in your life that he's calling you to take a step? And even though they may have different backgrounds and different interests in you, is he calling you as a follower of Christ to reach out to another follower of Christ to develop a deeper relationship with them? Friends, you don't have to wait till we're gathered together to do that. This week, if God begins to put on your heart someone that you know you're supposed to pursue for the sake of Christian unity, you can reach out to them this week. You can write them a letter. You can email them. You can call them. You can text them. 
as people feel comfortable getting together, you can start meeting together with people. Would you, friends, ask God this week, are there people, God, that you are calling me to pursue to show unity in the body of Christ? And whoever he's calling you to pursue, ask him for grace to step out and do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the church. We're thankful for the blessing of community in the body of Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for the sweet fellowship that we have in the family at Gateway. And Lord, I pray that as we think about your word, that God, you would convict each of us and show us if there's ways that we're showing partiality and favoritism. There's certain people that we're including while we're excluding others. God, if we've been doing that, Lord, would you reveal that to us? Lord, we want to be a people who are welcoming to all. And so would you show us if there are areas of our life that is falling short of your will and your plan here? And I pray for all of us this week that you put people in our hearts to pursue, even from a distance during this time of social distancing, that, Lord, we wouldn't let it be an excuse to just stay home and to not communicate. But, God, would you put other believers in our heart this week that we can pray for, that we can call, that we can text, that we can email, that we can write a letter to to encourage them. Lord, I pray as we're able to gather back here on this campus, we pray soon, Lord. I pray that you would give us a heart to care for welcoming all people. You give us eyes to see people the way you see people. And you would make us a people who are even more welcoming than we already are. Lord, so that your church might be built up, that your saints might be built up and equipped, and that we might be the body of Christ you desire us to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us as we sing our closing song today? Thank you. 
God, we are so thankful that you are ever almighty. That, God, that you are unchanging. That we don't have to worry about waking up and wondering what type of mood you're in. That, God, you are always all-powerful. That you are always holy. You're always everything of who you are. You're always fully glorious. And what a hope that is for us. What a hope we find knowing that you have rescued us, you've saved us, you've justified us, that you're sanctifying us, and that you'll one day, you'll bring us home to be with you, and that nothing can take us out of your hands. I pray that be an anchor for us, Lord, as we walk this journey and this trial continues for us. But we pray that you would give us much grace in the midst of the situation we're in to keep our eyes focused on you, to keep our eyes focused on your glory and your power and your might. Lord, we ask that even as we walk this journey, that you will continue to be sanctifying us and growing us in godliness. God, you are all-powerful, and you can change our hearts and change our desires. And so, Lord, if there are areas of our lives this week that are displeasing to you, God, in your mercy to us, would you show that to us? Convict us and give us a heart's desire to repent and walk with you and give us grace to obey you, Lord, that you might be glorified and we might find all the joy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family, and have a great Sunday afternoon. Oh.